Hey friend, thanks for checking out the Crosspoint Church podcast. It's our hope that these messages will encourage you to grow and thrive in your relationship with Christ. You can find more like this at thecrosspoint.com. Love my Crosspoint family. Anybody else gonna fast until Thursday with me? All right, I don't wanna not tell the truth right off the bat, you know, come on. Let's set a better standard than that. But man, I might go a little bit lighter just in preparation. But I really, wanna, I really do hope to see you guys at that night of thanks. It's a big night for us. We hope to share some good testimonies of what God is doing here at Crosspoint. My whole family will be there. We'll be collecting canned goods, as my brother Jeff said. So um, come on and look for me. And we'll encourage each other. Say, you can make it, brother. You can make it through the family reunion that's coming up on Thursday. Speaking of family, it's my pleasure to continue in our series about Forgotten Father, which has been good for me. I hope it has been for you. It's been challenging. Sometimes it's reminded me of my mom's dear love for hydrogen peroxide. It's nothing that my mom looked forward to more than if you got a cut, an abrasion, or a scrape so that she could grab that peroxide and go after it like she had something personal against the germs that were making their home inside there. And if she'd seen these, not one, but two cuts that I have on my forehead giving me that Gorbachev look, she would have cleaned it out. (laughs) Am I right, Brother David? So if this father thing has been kind of astringent for you and it's kind of brought some issues up in your life, just know that you're not alone, I'm there with you. But I could also say in my life too, it's brought some healing. Go around this type of thing every year and it's bringing some healing in my life and I pray it's doing the same for you. As we talk about these same issues this morning, I pray that God might open some hearts, mine too, and uh, speak to some places where maybe his light doesn't shine as bright as it could. Amen? All right, let's pray and then we'll just dive into it. Father, we're talking about you because you're good and we know that you're present here. You didn't send a messenger. You didn't just have your book published. You did all those things, but you come in person by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Holidays coming up reminds me of uh, those special moments when you're standing in a crowd. Now, some of you here might be like my wife, and this never happens to you, because people just tend to love you, but there'll be times in my life standing in a crowd where I start to feel, do I belong, do I matter? The word I'm gonna put on it this morning, we could put, lots of words on it, is status. What's my status right now as I stand here in this room? I had this fun thing happen to me, get together with a group of guys in the mornings a lot to do a workout, and then afterwards we'll have a cup of coffee together. (laughs) And this fun thing has happened. I don't know if this ever happened to you. So there you are with your coffee. You're talking. And then like, before you really know what happened, you're kind of standing there alone now because these people have started to talk to each other. You've got golf over here, which you don't do and don't know about, and then college football started up over here and you're not really into that either. And so they're just, there's nothing personal, nobody called you names or anything, but they're just, now they're talking and not to you. (laughs) And what are you gonna do? It's like a segue thing where you have to kind of go, all right guys, uh, I think my wife needs me at home and head home standing on the outside, lacking status. This is probably gonna happen to me at least a couple times at, during Thanksgiving, and if not, de- definitely during Christmas. 
And I start to look forward to the phenomena that I like, which is called status by association. Status by association. So I'll be standing there all kind of, you know, alone, having done nothing uh, to make the party cool. And then somebody will look up to me and they'll say, did your wife make these cookies? <laughs> yes, I am married to the sugar cookie queen of the Midwest, you know? <laughs> and what did I do? <laughs> nothing, you know? Absolutely nothing other than consume them, you know? But all of a sudden, I'm shining a little brighter just because of who I'm connected to. What sense does that make? I don't know, but don't take it from me. I need it. Or another phenomenon that may have happened to some of you guys here in the room, that magical moment when a couple of guys turn to you and say, did you ever serve in the military? Oh, man. There I am standing there all pathetic, feeling like I'm admitting to being a closet communist or something. <laughs> Say, no, you know, don't want to make dumb you know, my feet are kind of flat. They probably wouldn't have taken me anyway, or, you know. I used to smoke a lot. I didn't think I could make it through the boot camp, you know. None of, none of it sounding good. But what comes into my mind immediately, and there's hope because I'll say, no, but my son is in the army. As a matter of fact, he's in Syria right now fighting for your freedom. <laughs> and what have I done? Nothing, you know. <laughs> I'm going to bed in my little... How much better do I look right now? You know what I'm saying? That's not me. Those are not my milk-fed forearms. Those are not my tattoos. But what I have there is status by association. All right. What is this crazy man raving about? What do we, why do we have to talk about this? Well, A, number one, you're not doing anything else right now. But also, since we're talking about the forgotten father, I want to use this status by association idea and just think a little bit about a relationship with God. Can we do that together? You guys open to that? That's going to be our model. I want to kind of throw it around like, do we get to be somebody because we know God? Do I get to feel better about myself because I'm connected to him in some way? And if I am connected to the Father in some way, in what way? Is it kind of like taking cheesy opportunities to show pictures of your son so you can ride his coattails? Is it handing out cookies and saying, my wife made these? You know, why should God care about me and how do I get to think about myself and my status with him? I want you to turn now in your Bibles to Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four, it's in your New Testament. It's one of Paul's letters. It comes right before Ephesians. The scriptures will be up on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible. And the reason why I picked the scripture is because Paul is writing to a church that was being tempted away from the gospel as the reason why they could trust their status with God the Father. They had some false teachers coming in and trying to pull them away and saying, hey, you don't have the status you think you do, you don't belong to God like you think you do unless, unless you start getting back to these Old Testament laws, these ceremonies, these festivals, these Sabbath days, they were bringing that question and they were pulling this church away. And it seems like the Galatians maybe were going for it because Paul, to say the least, sounds a little upset in this letter, all right? Because these were his kids. This was the family that he planted out there for God and they were being pulled away from not some side issue, 
but you know, like the heart of the gospel, why do I belong to God, or what's my status by association with God, and so it gets Paul fired up. And so that's why I think this letter will be a good place to look, to kind of explore this idea of why should the Father care about me, or is my status with him just simply by association? So let's just read it together, and then we'll get into it a little bit. Chapter four, verse one, Paul says, I mean that the heir, not A-I-R, but heir, as in someone who's gonna inherit, someone who belongs in the family, someone who's gonna get what the Father wants to give out, an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the debts date set by his father. To read anything in Paul is to come into the middle of a pretty involved conversation, okay? You guys are probably pretty familiar with this. Now, even if you begin from the start, sometimes you need to know the context of the letter so you can kind of get what Paul's talking about because he was talking very specifically to a very specific group of people. And the issues here are as thick as ever, theologically, and we don't have time for it all, but I think we can look at it clear enough so that we can get our grounding for today. And it's this, Paul's talking about the time when God made a promise to Abraham. You guys remember this? He took him out of a different nationality and he said, hey, you belong to me now, you're mine. And from you, I'm gonna make a great nation. And they're gonna be my personal people. And anyone who blesses them, I'll bless. And anyone who curses these people as though they were my family because they are, I will curse those people and get rid of them. So this is gonna be my family. And in you, this family that I'm gonna make out of you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But then comes this drama, thousands of years of drama of God having the Egyptian people be lords over them and turn them into slaves and God putting, bringing them out of Egypt but then putting them under his own system of laws and saying this is the way you guys will approach me. You cannot just come waltzing in here. You will not just anybody from your people come up to me as though you belong here. You will have priests, there will be a tabernacle, then there will be a temple and you will do it the way that I say you will do it and that's how you approach me because I'm a holy God and it is literally dangerous for you to be around me with that disrespect and to come in here with your sin and your faults and just act like you belong here to put your feet up on my table, it's not gonna work that way. And so Paul is saying at that time in Israel's life, it was like they were kids. They were God's heirs, they were getting the whole farm was coming to them, but they were under guardians. And just like a kid, before he gets into his inheritance, he can't just do what he wants, it's gonna have to wait until he's the real deal, the real son receiving the inheritance. And Paul's saying the same thing about that Israel nation. And now, the Galatian church is being pulled back into those laws, those guardians, those times before they were actual heirs, okay? So that's the time he's referring to. Big gulp of water. Do you guys wish you'd come for second service? We have a coffee bar out there. All right, let's continue. So until you're under guardians, until you've come into your inheritance, you might as well work there. That's the kind of status you have. It's regulated by laws. And in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. You weren't, you weren't somebody. You were down under those fallen spiritual powers that run this world. You weren't anybody. You didn't have any status by association or otherwise with God. But when the fullness of time had come, there was a time that God had set for that inheritance to come through. God sent forth his son, capital S, so we know we're talking about Jesus, the only one born in God's own house, the only one who just was his son and didn't have to earn his way into it, who came out with the Father's heart always. God sent forth his son, 
but he sent him forth as one of us, born of a woman like the rest of us, born under the law. He became one of those people of Israel who had not yet come into their inheritance. Why did he do this? Because he wanted to redeem those who were under that law so that we might receive adoption. Somebody say adoption. As sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his, capital S, son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So there was this day and there was this change and there was this full status, but the Galatians were trying to pull back and go back to the time when, our, when their relationship with God was regulated by laws and customs and all this. And that's got Paul upset because apparently this time of day and this adoption was a big deal and he doesn't want them falling back from it. And that's what I wanna talk about this morning. I wanna explore this for us. Is this something we could fall back from or what does it even mean or is this still status by association with God or not? I wanna take a look at this and find out. One preliminary thing here that I wanna clear up. The culture that Paul is talking to when he says that we now have become sons or that we have adoption as sons, I want the ladies in the room to know this for a fact, that what he's talking about in this culture is a matter of status, not identity. So this is not just for the male members of the church if that makes sense. It's about status, not identity. And I'm not talking about wading into the gender wars. I'm just talking about literally the point that Paul's making here was that you would, in that culture, get that full status as a son, meaning all of it, which is kind of revolutionary because they called it sons for a reason. Back in that culture, it wasn't happening to the ladies. Now you say, Josiah, is this just your opinion? Are you trying to re, uh, win 21st century points or something? No, I'm not. Go above chapter four here and go to verse 26, so 326, for it says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. He's talking about your status here. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, come on somebody, a couple baptisms today, have put on Christ, and status-wise, there is neither Jew nor Greek, your nationality doesn't make it anymore. There is neither slave nor free, whether you own the place or you just work there doesn't matter anymore. There is no male and female, so your gender doesn't matter as to your status anymore, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings and heirs according to the promise. So I just want you guys to pay attention to that because it's not just my opinion that he's talking to both, it's a matter of the text, okay? And again, it's not identity, it's status. You'll go throughout the rest of the New Testament, women are addressed as such, men are addressed as such, so this is not flattening out everybody's gender identity, it is simply in this case he's talking about our status and that's what we're gonna talk about today. Now, before we get too hard on the Galatians of falling back into being regulated uh, by laws and things like that, I wanna look at a few things, first of all, Sometimes I think as Christians, and especially as like American evangelical Christians, we can just get too presumptive about what a big deal it is to go around telling people that you are a son or daughter of God. Uh, for instance, I've heard, and this is an argument that can kind of stick from some atheist people that you'll hear, they write books or they're online or they make arguments here and there, and they'll say, you know, one of the big problems with Christians is they go around claiming that they're actually one of the eternal, all holy God of love's kids, but they don't act differently than anyone else. And it seems like it's just like, yeah, I like vanilla ice cream, I watch football, I wear a size 10 and a half shoe and I'm one of God's kids. Ho hum, you know, <laughs> like who cares? It's like checking a box on a, a paper that says, what's your religion? Oh yes, I always check Christian because that's what I am, that's what I was raised. And that one stings a little bit because I can't speak for you, but I've been a little bit guilty of it. 
Now, other things get so important in my life that I just kind of, ca- I get a little casual, you know, that I was born again, that I'm one of God's kids, and I don't think about the reality that maybe some people, maybe even listening today, who don't know God, and you're sitting there saying, who makes that claim for themselves? Who would do that? It's kind of a big deal. For instance, who's the star of our passage? Did you guys notice that? Where are we in here? Talking about slaves and we are under guardians and we haven't inherited yet. And then when the star comes forward, who is it? Who's the active guy in this passage? It's not us. It doesn't say you changed your mind, you got smart, you started doing good things. Instead, it says that God's son, Jesus Christ, came out and did what needed to be done. He did the work. He's the star of the passage. He's a big deal. I'm excited about that. We got some clapping going on here. That's awesome, but what does it have to do with us? Why should you get to share in what the son does? He's the star of this passage. I want to read this from Philippians chapter two. You don't have to uh, go there, but you've heard this before, and I just want to read it a little bit so that we can remember who this Jesus is. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter two. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, and any participation in the spirit, Affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition. It's not about you or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Who though he was in the form of God, Jesus was God himself, his own son, God himself in human flesh. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did that, not you or I. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus and only Jesus, not Josiah or any other name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Jesus. That's the one who we're saying we're associated with. That's the one who we're saying is our older brother. Does that sound like the type of guy you walk up to and throw your arm around and say, hey bud, how's it going? Is that the type of guy that you think would share his lunch with you? Is that the type of guy you think you just slap on the back and say, how's it going? Maybe we do, but maybe it's because we've gotten a little too used to the claims that we're making. And I think it would do us some good today to just stop for a minute and think it through. Why should this God have anything to do with me? If Jesus did it all and he's the star of the passage, then why should this God have anything to do with me? It's amazing. It's beyond belief. And when it comes down to normal, just human leaders or important human people, we feel again that insecurity. We feel again that lack of status and we get kind of nervous and we wonder, why would that guy have anything to do with me? So then why do we switch over so fast and get so bold? Oh yes, of course I'm one of God's sons. And then we worry about it and act as though we're not. I think it could be because sometimes we've made it a little bit trivial We haven't understood what it means. We think that we have status by association, which would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be pretty neat? Wouldn't Christianity be good enough if you could just go around saying sort of like, I voted for Jesus in the last election? Doesn't that make you feel pretty good? I mean, you know, it's like Jesus Christ, son of the living God, king of kings, yes, I voted for him. You could just, that could be your thing. You could have a Jesus, you know, 08, Jesus 23, you know, Jesus 1984 shirt, and it would show that you were on the right side. Or maybe you could just say, hey, I work for God and son. 
It's on your truck. Your coveralls, God and Son, and I'm just one of the employees. And you could show people your ticket stub, you know, from heaven. I work for heaven. You'd be like, yes, this makes me feel good. I have a feeling we'd tell everyone. It's strange that it's so much better than that, that sometimes I I think it pushes us towards unbelief. And sometimes I think we wish it was kind of, would pull back from being like, I'm one of God's kids, to being like, I voted for him and I'm just sort of in the company, because then we might be able to take that in under our own power and kind of get our heads around it and feel a little bit like it's under our control and get our status from there. It's almost God gave us too much. He poured it out too much and sometimes we feel like we can't believe it. I don't think I've got some of you yet, but I'm gonna go on to the next point. I think another thing that we're too hard on the Galatians about is that there's some comfort in a relationship or a status that's regulated by laws. Now, as it comes to New Testament theology, that might be kind of unknown to us. We're going, man, I don't know, I'm not sure about all that stuff. Ceremonial laws, the tabernacle, maybe I've read up on it, but I'm not sure about that, and that's okay. But we are familiar with what it's like to have our status or our relationship regulated by laws. For instance, there's an old saying, you know, so-and-so is a native son of St. Louis. You guys ever heard that before? So-and-so is a native son of Waterloo. You know, he's our own native son. It's just a saying because you're not actually a native son of the state you live in. If you think you are, why don't you go to the governor's mansion tomorrow, throw your feet up on the table and say, hey, pops, I got a few ideas for what we ought to do around the house. What do you think? The governor, actually you won't even make it to him, his uh, protection will help reorient you to what your actual relationship with the state that you live in is. It's not one of the kids, I'll tell you that. You do not have Missouri or Illinois in your heart. You may love it, but it's not in your heart. You're not actually one of the kids. Your relationship to this state is regulated by laws. And what about the businesses we work in? What about our work? Unless you own the business, you may love your work, it may be one of the most important things to you, but your relationship to that job is regulated by laws and you are paid for the time you put in. That's the way it is, that's how your status to that place is regulated. And that's not wrong. Think of how much change and good change the Western laws and state laws have brought to the world and our corporate structures are the envy of the world for a good reason. It has allowed people who do not share the same religion, don't share the same beliefs or family or almost anything, as long as we abide by these laws, we can live together in a certain type of peace. It's amazing. The Western world has amazed the world and for good reasons. It brings diverse people together in these deep ways and we work together and live together on the same streets in, what, in a relative amount of peace. And we do that because our relationship to each other is regulated by laws. So I don't blame the Galatians. I'm not too hard on them for wanting to kind of go back to that because again, maybe they could get their arms around it. Maybe it wouldn't be such a big, challenging and humbling thing as just being one of God's kids. The problem is, and we begin to take a turn in our passage and begin to see why these laws and a law-regulated relationship or status by association with God is not good enough. It wasn't good enough for God. It's not good enough for the gospel, and I'll tell you some of the reasons why. One of the reasons why is laws can't tell you whether you love your neighbor or not. 
Isn't that interesting? It's weird that it can make you live at peace with somebody right out of fear of the penalty or just out of respect for the law. It can help you to live with people and work with them and just keep yourself to yourself and do the right thing. But you can't get a law to tell you whether you love someone. You can check your status to make sure you're a civilian or you're a, you're a citizen in good standing or you're an employee in good standing and everything's good, but it fails in being able to tell you whether you love someone or whether you are loved. Isn't that a hard question to ask? You say, does my job love me? You'd have to say, I don't know. Your boss may love you for reasons, you know, but your job as such, no. There's no way to tell. It's not the type of thing that can love you. Does Missouri love you? No. It's not the type of thing that loves people. Does Illinois love you? Certainly not. <laughs> Just because it's not the type of thing that would love people, you know? It's no more than that. So why does Paul even take the Galatians there? Why does he talk about these rules and regulations? You guys wonder about that? Let's go back and look at it real quick. So we go back to Galatians, and I want you to really look at this text, because sometimes when we read through real quick, we don't catch some things. So it talks about that as that, in that fullness of time. Here's where God takes care of the paperwork, okay? Here's where God takes care of these, this paperwork that needed to be worked out for our status because we were alienated from God without hope, without standing with him, had no reason to expect to have any standing with him. And then his son who does have standing with him comes in and he takes care of the paperwork. Look at this. Time is right. God sent forth his son as one of us. He came down and became one of us, born of a woman, born under that law, why did he do that? To redeem, it's, a, it's another legal type term, redeem. We're sitting there, worthless, no hold on God, working against him, and God comes down and he says, I'm giving you value. I'm giving you back your value. I'm establishing what your relationship is to redeem those who were under the law. And now watch for this, so that we might receive adoption. Remember we used that word at the beginning, we were gonna talk a little bit about adoption, we really gotta get into it now, okay? We gotta dive into adoption right now because this has been taken care of. There was these legal demands so that our lives would no longer be regulated to God by laws. That's not the way God wanted it, right? He all along had set forth this time because it says when the time had come. His son came forward and he did away with that type of stuff. He settled that account so that we could be right with him. Now I wanna talk about in our country, adoption is kind of a weird thing. It's not, I mean, it makes sense, but if you really get into it, it's a little bit weird. Now listen, I'm gonna be sharing from my own experience here, okay? My experience that I've had with adoption. I'm not speaking for everyone, okay? And I don't intend to. I'm just speaking for myself and maybe you too. And I really just wanna look at this concept of adoption as it has to do with our status with God, all right? Now, why am I saying adoption's a weird thing? Because it involves the law. The law brings you up to a certain point. And I'll, in my own life, it was like this. I married a lady named Catherine. She had a son named Jaden. I wanted Jaden to be 100% in our family, and so I wanted to adopt him. So we had to go first through the law to get that taken care of. Now that's not the way we usually do it. Uh, it I, what do I mean by that? I mean, you don't do a couple days work for your job and then they go, okay, since you're living up to it, you can work here now, you know? Well, you sign on the dotted line first and hope for the best, you know what I mean? Because you have to be an employee first, or what are we doing here? 
makes sense corporately and then you are born into this country, all of a sudden you're a citizen. How do we know whether you're gonna be a good American or not? We don't, but you have to know you belong here or how else could you work on it, you know? Here you are, you're a citizen, now good luck to you, let's work on it. Weirdly, that's what adoption does too. I don't know what I thought it was gonna be like because I'd never adopted someone before, but we actually go to this courthouse and they ask me some questions, mainly getting me to, you know, swear on the bottom line that this, I'm not being compelled by anybody and that this is my choice, and it was. And so I make the choice, and then a judge looks at all of us and says, we believe it's in the best interest of all parties here that this be done. And then the gavel comes down, isn't that crazy? That didn't happen in the hospital, no gavels. Thankfully my wife didn't have one. Don't know how she would have applied it. I probably wouldn't be here with you good people today. But there we hit the gavel. And after that, they changed the birth certificate. It's all done. But that's just a law. Like what's happened yet? Nothing but everything. Because you can search around in the records, you can pay somebody, you can get a private investigator, you can get lawyers and you can go after it. And as far as anyone who matters is concerned, Jaden is my son. So how come the first night that I spent at our house, he told me I could go home now? <laughs> What's this? What should I have done? Should I have pulled out the birth certificate and showed it to him? Do you think that would have solved everything? No, son, I actually have the legal ability to stay here, so, you know. Let's look at our passage again. Look what it says. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Now watch this and because you are sons, full stop, because it's done now, not because of anything you've done or will do yet, it's done now. Your status with God is so much bigger, the legal stuff's been taken care of, now we're getting real. Now the law can't help you anymore. Is it the law that brings tears to my eyes when that gavel came down and they said, this guy's your son? Do I check the birth certificate at night when him and his mom stayed up later than we wanted to praying for our son that he would make it? Do I call the governor of Missouri to check with him when we pray for him to come home from Syria safe and sound? Is it the law that makes me look forward to his wedding day when he comes back? Will it be the law that'll make me so happy about grandkids in my life? No, it's not that. It's love. Who did that for me? What judge can do that for you? Nobody. But the status has to be taken care of first. A lot of us are afraid of our identity with the father that maybe we're not one of his sons or daughters so we can't get on to the real business of learning how to love and we don't know the kind of God that we serve which is why we've called this series a forgotten father and why our God is a God of adoption and why he calls it a spirit of adoption because he took care of the hard parts and cemented your status as a son or a daughter first. And then it says, because we're sons, he poured the spirit of his son into our hearts crying what? Not Jesus is great though he is, that spirit inside your heart doesn't say, I've made it now, even though you have. That spirit inside your heart doesn't say, I'm not going to hell anymore, even though you're not. That spirit inside you doesn't say, God will change my behavior, even though he will. That spirit, that Holy Spirit of God that comes inside your heart cries, Abba, Father, because that's what God wanted. 
He wanted it. No one forces him to it. Sometimes we are guilty, hear what I say, of a Jesus-only Christianity. Jesus is the hero. He's the center. He is God. He is our salvation. But we have to go forgotten father because we start to think it was only his idea that only Jesus cares about you, but the father's back there somewhere saying, yeah, you can bring your adopted friends if you want. You're the one I love, but we got a big station wagon, so pile them in. We'll make a few other peanut butter sandwiches, and I guess we'll pull this vacation off somehow. And that is blasphemous. It not, has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with the love of God. And it would be a total failure of what Jesus Christ did on the cross if we began to believe that. It was the father's idea. When the time had come, the father gave his son. The Bible says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The father loves you and he loves you in that adopted way. You say, isn't there something still to work on? Yes, there is. But if you don't get that you are in the family, you can't work on it because it's called love. It's love and you have to know who you are so you can work on it together. Ooh, it's been a journey for Jaden and I. And he would agree with me. It's so weird to suddenly be living together and have to tell the guy, hey, bud, I know that, you know, when me and your mom first went to CC's together, you didn't really see all this coming. But the best times that we've ever had is when I've been able to go, man, I don't really know what I'm doing. And it's okay. Can we figure this out together? Because I know one thing, we're not leaving You're never gonna have to look for a new family again. Until they put me in a box, I'll be your dad. That has a tendency to, to pull two people together. So that I was glad nobody was around when I get a letter from boot camp saying, I wanna thank you for bringing discipline into my life because I can make it here and I wanna appreciate you bringing that into my life. That's not a law that made that happen. It's that status that we count on so that we can know who we are. So I want everybody in this room, if you know the Lord, to understand that there are only adopted kids in God's family, save one, Jesus, and he gave his own life so that you could be one of those if you wanna find a place where adoption is honored, look no further than heaven. It's written over the gates of the place. Enter in here, all you have been adopted by your father in heaven. He loves you. His status is taken care of and will never be changed so that we can begin to work on the love part. Every time one of us messes up and thinks, now I'm done, God's gonna get rid of me, we don't understand adoption. You're not hearing the gavel. You're not seeing what Jesus has done for you. Now, there's a lot of ways that we could apply this in our lives. One is what the Apostle Paul wanted. He goes so far as to say if anyone tells you differently and tries to pull you back to where you're like an unadopted employee of heaven, then let that person be accursed of God. It's in here, it's in the first chapter. Paul gets upset. If anyone tries to take you and say, no, God doesn't care about you like that and tries to pull you back, let that person, Paul says, be accursed of God. They're preaching a different gospel than the one that's real. This gospel is a gospel of adoption. And you're not one of God's employees, you're one of his sons. Some other ways I think we could apply that would be, first of all, what's your fallback position in your life? We all got one. Whenever you're 
messing up or you feel like some cause or some thing in our culture has become more important than remembering that you are one of God's sons, what's your fallback position? I don't know what yours is, mine is this. I had a leaky faucet up in the upstairs kid's bathroom and this thing's dripping and it gets to me again and go, this is who you are, buddy. You can't fix stuff. Your things at your house are broken because you're a loser and no one showed you how to do it and you mess stuff up. And so I'm like, no, that's not true. I can do it. And so I go and do what I can and I make it worse. And now I got water running in the kitchen and I have to call a friend. He has to come help me. And I'm sitting there going, you're a loser, dude. You got nothing. I'm so mad. And I go to this fallback position. And it's all gone. All this God adopted me, everything's cool. Why? Because the pain of my past is becoming bigger than what God has done for me. And I have to be reminded, I was so glad to have this be the text that we we're gonna work on because it's reminding me and it's healing my heart. What's your fallback position? When you look in the mirror, who are you looking at? Still not good enough. No one asked you to prom and we know why by what we're looking at right now. Still not good enough. You're supposed to have a good career like the rest of your family, but not you. You have to be on the B team. What's your fallback position? And why do you allow that to be bigger in your life than knowing that God has taken care of all that so that you can be one of his kids? Whatever it is, I would invite you to write it down so that you remember, this is the stuff I fall back on, and then you write underneath of it, adopted by God. <laughs> so isn't that cool? It makes it so you don't have to pretend it's not true. I can stand up here and go, yep, I came from a broken family, we've got a history of mental illness, I've had drug addiction and abuse in my life, and I've had legal problems and issues and issues with anxiety and depression, and God knew that when he adopted me. <laughs> so he doesn't care, he goes, nah, I don't care about all that. I came here looking for orphans. Because I love them. I love it when they come to me. They got nowhere to go. I love that. I love it when they don't know who they are because I do know who they are. Matter of fact, I'm the only one who does. So when they come dragging in here all broken telling me what's wrong and why I shouldn't love them, I know I found the right people because I'm in the adoption agency. So I say, hey, oh, you're trying to tell me from a broken family, don't know who you are and don't have any status? Come on in here, all you who don't deserve it. It's called the gospel and you get to sit at God's table for all of eternity because he plans on dancing on his enemies head saying, you tried to pull these people away from me and I used their distance away from me to show the measure of my grace and my love and you tried to drag them down and destroy my image in them and I reached further down and restored their image further up and it only makes me look like a better dad, not worse. So eat it forever because you're done. Sorry, getting excited about that. All right. Not a fan of the devil. Raised by a Pentecostal mom, so you get a little, you know, ready to, ready to stomp him down. I'd like to close with this uh, point, too. The outside world really needs to see the way we act. You know how we disagree with some stuff that our culture's doing? Well, of course we do. We've been adopted out of that family, so we, st we seem like strangers to them. And that's because we are. But if we knew our status was secure, if we knew that they couldn't take anything from us, if we knew that they could call names and maybe even come after your job and maybe put you down and falsely accuse you, heck, maybe they could hurt you, maybe they could put you in jail, maybe they could take your life. 
But if we knew that our status with a loving father was secure, we'd realize they can't really take anything from you then. And that's good for our peace of mind, but it should also help our behavior come across as, I do this because I love my father, not because I disapprove of you. So when people go their own way and say, well, we think marriage is this, we think gender's this, we think money's this, we think government ought to be this, you'd say, I understand. I mean, it's okay. I'm not your judge. I'm not here to disapprove of you, but I can't do that. My father is my father, and I act like him because he adopted me. I'm in his family, and his love compels me and changes who I am. So I can see that you disagree with me, and it even seems like you're getting kind of mad there, but I just wanna say, I don't hate you. I don't have a problem with you. My life's been changed by love. And that way, when we differ with the world around us, but remember that we are adopted kids, we can be both secure and love, but not condemning because we're adopted, right? <laughs> you can't go around calling people names. You didn't know who your dad was. You didn't either. <laughs> you know, what are you yelling about? You were adopted. Compassion. You're all a bunch of sinners. So are you. Calm down on that. But now I'm different, man. I've been adopted into the family. It's not because of anything I've done. So when I have to disagree with the world around me, I hope to do it with love. You want to know why? Because that's attractive. I used to be invited over to friend's house when I was a kid. I promise I'm closing. You're like, oh no, he's gonna tell a childhood story. We're gonna be here till Thanksgiving. <laughs> I used to get invited over to kids' houses. Now, some of them, they were like me. They were being raised by wolves. And so, you know, we went outside and did dangerous stuff and used foul language. But other times, I would get invited to people's houses who did not live like us. They had a mom and a dad, and it was orderly and clean, and they loved good things and it was peaceful at their house and nobody was screaming and yelling at each other. It made me feel out of place, but it made me want to live there. And I hope by God's grace that that's what God did in Catherine and I's life. So we put together a house. Now when some kids come over to our house, they go, man, I like this. It makes me feel out of place because no one's yelled at anyone or thrown anything down the stairs yet, but I sure want to be around this. I hope we can be like that cross point. I hope we can be that adopted home when people come over and go, man, I want to be around here. It makes me, I feel out of place but I sure would like to be here. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for everything that you do for us, but today we would like to focus on thanking you for adoption, for not knowing what we were gonna do with that huge gift you gave us, but being willing to deal with it, for taking care of the preliminaries so you could pour that spirit into our hearts and free us to learn how to love. We thank you for that. God, for all my friends here today who this stuff brings pain, either because of adoption or because of being an orphan or because of the father stuff again, I just pray your healing will continue to flow into those areas. Bring healing, bring strength. God, for all my friends who wonder and worry about their status with you, do they just get to be seen with you? God, would you help us to see we're in the family. It's way deeper than that. I pray that you would help us to see that. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. You can check out thecrosspoint.com for more resources like this.